Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, I'm Orlando Eastwood, director of On the Road, The Search for Bigfoot, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. All right, got some more Touristic Q Chronicles for you today. Uh, if you haven't, you know, caught up by now, uh, go ahead and go back and, and listen to the rest of the Terrestrial Chronicles, uh, Cal's Fall, Part 1. is that That's what you're looking for, for the very first one in this uh, series. It's it's uh, a, a lot to catch you up on, but uh, yeah, let's just say that uh, she met the guy that uh, slaughtered her village and then aimed to stab him in the heart in the middle of a, a public place. Uh, where they also found this uh, super secret cool ship. Uh, and uh, good news about the Touristic U Chronicles, I have started writing Story 9, so I'm in the process of writing Story 9. Uh, for reference, we're only on Story 4. <laughs> uh, but, you know, with Story 9, I'm going to be able to go ahead and release another uh, collected works of the Touristic U Chronicles, so I'm going to be able to go ahead and uh, and, and release it. I, I think I might uh, repackage it and, and re-release the whole series, so I might uh, be making a few changes to the series uh, in general, you know. Um, mo most of it's just me, you know, <laughs> as I'm a better writer when, when it, than when I first started the series, uh, you know. You get better <laughs> the more you do stuff. I don't know. It, it would be interesting for me to go back to read early works uh, by some writers and see how it is to some of their later stuff, you know? Uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of writers, we don't even get to see their early, early stuff because there's not this whole self-publishing thing, right? You know, like Stephen King had to get rejected like 50 bajillion times, where, whereas me, I could, you know... I did have a lot of stuff that, you know, hasn't seen the light of day, <laughs> but that was all in my, like, theater writing, you know, <laughs> part of my life, and, you know, when I switched to doing novels, uh, 
you know, I, I, I the first one I I did publish, and I, you know, it, it was cool, but <laughs> I don't know I, I'm better now. I, I recognize that that you know, novel writing is is not the same as playwriting. But anyways, uh, yeah, you don't <laughs> you're not here to hear me uh, talk about my writing. You're here to hear me read my writing. So let's go ahead and get on with the show and listen to some Touristic You Chronicles. So without further ado, here's more of Cal's Revenge. The Trillium Blade is one of the few melee weapons that can pierce the Touristicu armor. Human armorsmiths infuse the black ore, decrend, into the plating, making it one of the toughest materials in existence, the weapons dealer said as he took Cal to the back of his ship. The man was a species with smooth skin, bright eyes, and sleek hair. Normally, she wouldn't do business on another person's vessel. They would find a neutral place to meet. It was easier to control the situation when no one had the advantage. If this man intended to screw her over, walking into his vessel would be dangerous. There were several reasons why she went anyway. She was docked on a space station that had a fairly robust police force. While she tried to avoid the authorities whenever she could, it was comforting to know that they would like nothing more than to capture an arms dealer. The enemy of her enemy was her friend. Another reason that he did have a reputation to uphold, as the most successful businesses didn't last very long by luring people to their vessels and then robbing them. Lastly, weapons were outlawed on the station, and from a purely economic standpoint, it was easier for her to view the catalog, pick up the one she wanted, and make him sort out the smuggling. Sneaking the weapon on the station back to where the ship was, her ship was docked was the easy part since she only intended on buying a melee weapon. His collection of handheld weapons was very impressive. There were all sorts of blades, bludgeoning weapons, and both human and alien alike. Some had jagged blades that looked more like torture devices. Others were smooth and thin. The Terillion blade was long and needle-like and turned into a pyramid shape at the base. He handed it to Cal. She picked it up and inspected the weapon. She gripped it by the pyramid, and the weapon looked like an extension of her fist. It was lightweight and thrust very easily. It's only meant for one attack. You pierce your enemy anywhere, and the metal of the blade seeps into the open wound. It doesn't matter where. The metal will go straight to their brain. It will make them go insane before they die. It's quite painful, the dealer said while she looked over the weapon. What happens if you aim for their heart? Cal said as she touched the blade. It was tarnished with a green color. Cal had never felt further from her try when she held the weapon. They were peaceful and violence was never the answer. However, she had learned violence like she had learned any other skill. In the prison, she had used it to protect herself. But then something changed. It was the moment she was struck down by Dr. Fessler. She realized there was a darkness hiding within her. How much for the blade? Cal said. Somebody must have pissed you off. Trillion blades don't come cheap, being that the Shusharians made them go extinct and all. And due to their limited use, it's a dwindling supply, my friend. Name your price. Because I like you, I'll throw in a pair of Trillion bracers, too. It's like a cloaking device to store the blade on your forearm. Great for concealing a weapon during your next social function and getting past security checkpoints. No extra charge. 
The blade sunk deep into Makiarnik's chest. She pierced the breathing tube that led to the helmet, and the helmet opened up, exposing his face. It occurred to her that she didn't even know what he had looked like. He was an extremely pale human with watery blue eyes and very blonde hair. She believed that Hayden had once referred to the color as platinum blonde. He gasped for breath, and she could see the metal from the blade dissolve into the wound. The blade turned into dust in her hand. His veins around his neck pulsed with a corroded metallic color. The whites of his eyes began to fill with murk. Judging by the fact that she, he was still alive, she knew she had missed his heart. However, judging how quickly the corrosion was splitting, she could tell she hit an artery. The suit could help keep him alive, but the trillion poison would end his life, eventually. As much as she felt this moment would bring her satisfaction, she felt nothing. It was the same cold, empty feeling as when she struck down Dr. Fesslerk. Makiarnik was now suffering, like her mother had suffered. She felt no better than she had before. Her mother was still dead. That fact would never change. His entourage pulled out their weapons, and the crowd around ducked out of the way. The sales associate dropped to the floor. Granark and Hayden were stunned by her recklessness and were unsure of what to do. Neither of them had a weapon because of the strict no weapons of on-earth policy. The fact that not only had she snuck one onto the planet, but she had also done so without alerting the authorities surprised them. The Tarissicus bark orders for her to drop to the ground when she pulled Makiarnik towards her. She wrapped one hand around his neck and placed the other on his back out of sight of the troopers who were yelling and pointing through weapons. She cut through the commotion with a loud, booming request. Put your weapons down if you want to see your captain alive! The soldiers looked at each other in confusion. The painkillers in Makiarnik's suit must have kicked in because he yelled, Do as she says, you idiots! The soldiers dropped their weapons on the ground and looked back and forth at each other. Granork and Hayden collected the weapons. Her bluff had worked. The Terillion Bracers could only conceal one weapon, but they didn't know that. Granork stepped on the sales associate's hand, breaking it. Cal glared at him. He was attempting to hit the panic button under his desk, Granork said. I hope you have a plan, because there's a fucking army of Terrestrials on this planet, Hayden said. To the elevator now, Cal said. You stay down here and watch them. Granork nodded and rounded up the hostages. He turned to the sales associate, cradling his arm. You are closed for the day. Please lock up the front. But our customers have access 24-7. Not today, they don't. Granork brought the gun down to the man's head. He scrambled to close the front entrance. Hayden and Cal dragged Makiarnik to the express elevator. Key, Cal said. I don't know what you're talking about, Makiarnik said. Cal didn't mess around. She shot him in the arm. He cried out in pain. The metal coursing through his veins seemed to flow faster. Okay, okay. He produced a key from the catch on his armor. It looked like a platinum key, but Cal knew there was a serious encryption technology inside. A panel opened on the wall, asking for a DNA sample. Cal slammed his head onto the panel, and he winced and he toppled over despite the drugs in his system. The panel said, DNA sample accepted. What the hell was that about? Hayden yelled as the elevator shot upwards. I saw an opportunity and I took it. Are you sure? We all saw what you did to Dr. Fesslerk. This mission is dangerous without you losing control every time you see a human in their power armor. 
Cal slammed the emergency stop on the elevator panel, and they all lurched downward. Don't think I haven't noticed you sneaking off to visit your father and your brother. I, I would never endanger the crew like that. The extra ID coming back late from scouting missions, unauthorized trips to L.A. So what, you're spying on the crew? Way, way to build trust. Maker manages the ship funds, and he found out when he was doing the monthly books. He thought of one of the crew was going to betray us. If I didn't know you better, I might have even suspected it myself. They're my family. How can I not see them? I don't know if I'll ever see them again. And, and who are you to talk? Your little stun here could get us captured, killed, or worse. This is the man who murdered my village. The words hung in the air between them. Hayden looked down at the unconscious captain and back up at Cal. For the first time since she broke free from the prison, she cried. Hayden leaned in to comfort her. His face softened. The argument was forgotten. When I killed Dr. Fesslerk, I wanted it to be this man. Dr. Fesslerk wasn't a good man. He deserved what he got. But what makes me different from this man who slaughtered my village? He would kill anyone who got in his way, regardless of whether or not they deserved it. My people happen to be in his way, just like Dr. Fesslerk happened to be in mine. You know it's different. Is it? I didn't know it was Dr. Fesslerk at the time. He was retreating and wasn't going to harm us. You, you can't dwell on the past. My village has a sailing. Pummeling with stones to keep the peace will only disrupt the peace with more stones. If I kill him, and his family and his people will just come after me. I'll have to kill more people. When does it stop? He picked a fine time to have a moral crisis. If you want to kill him, fine. I'll be first in line to provide you the knife, but for now we need him alive. Our only option is now going for the damn ship. Don't you see what I'm trying to say? There are options. There's always another way. What do you have in mind? Cal hit the button. The elevator continued to the top floor. Hopefully the drugs administered by Bakyarnik's suit would keep him alive a little longer. Follow my lead, she said. Hayden was hesitant, but he didn't have a better alternative. Cal didn't notice his reservations. She was lost in thought. She had understood what was wrong with the past few months. It wasn't the mission or even her ability to lead. It was the person she would become when she saw Makyarnak again. She had faced the darkness head on. And while she felt no guilt for stabbing the man, she understood that honoring her village was more important than ending the life of a man who killed her people. The life or death of this man didn't matter to her or anyone. What was more important was that she would walk the path of her ancestors and use violence as a measure of last resort. Alright, that was uh, the uh, next installment of the Touristic U Chronicles. Come back next week for the exciting conclusion of, of Cal's Revenge. And then uh, we'll, after that, uh, go ahead and, and jump right into the uh, next story. Uh, I'm not going to give you the title of the next story because it will kind of show you how this one ends. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you're spoilers, if you're going to go, you could probably just go look uh, look this up online. Uh, but yeah, uh, come back next week. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of you for listening. You are awesome. And thank you for the people that uh, told me to... Uh, 
read the story. You know, I, I you know, when I first uh, was looking for something new to read, I had some people reach out that said, "Epic sci-fi, man, read this story." And uh, <laughs> I, I thank you guys for for you know getting me there because I I you know was having a little trouble with writing the you know later uh, versions of the story. I, I actually got a little burnt out of it and uh you know <laughs> was you know thinking oh i don't you know really want to write more and and it's hard because you know this is not my most popular selling of stories like i don't really make much money as an author on it and so you know when you're writing sometimes you have to you know <laughs> follow where people are actually buying your work you know i'm not in it really for the money. I mean, I don't make a lot of money in general, but, uh, uh, you know, I do use the money, uh, that I do make from my writing to, you know, pay editors and buy cover art and maybe do a little bit of advertising, you know, it, it, it funds the next project. So I do have to make something or else, you know, <laughs> how am I going to get cover art and an editor and all that other stuff that I need to pay for? So, you know, it's a shoestring budget, uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's what I do through my book sale. So, yeah, if, if you're enjoying these uh, Touristic You Chronicles, go encourage people to, you know, y your friends that, that read rather than listen to books, tell them to go check them out. Uh, you know, the the first one is free, and then after that they're only a dollar a piece for each one. So, so it's kind of the, the cheapest thing to <laughs> get into. Anyways, enough shameless self-promotion. Uh, have a good night, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>